again, it's great to have you in church. Uh, school has started, everything's kind of winding up, isn't it? Children's church is happening at the back. Youth happened with a bang on Friday night, brilliant, fantastic, good things, and, and all the life groups are kicking back into place as well, so uh, stay tuned for everything winding up, and it's good to be a part of the family of God, I tell you. Uh, it is good, it's just good to worship together, it is to be together, and this morning I enjoyed that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18 is a verse that maybe some of us could quote to me, uh, especially when you hear it. But 1 Thessalonians, uh, please get your Bible out, um, uh, get your uh, iPad, whatever it may be. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me read it to you. It's, it's got some of the shortest verses in the Bible. The first verse is two words, rejoice always. Second verse has got three words, pray without ceasing. Oh, there you know it. And then the third verse is a little longer. It says, in everything give uh, thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, there's a reoccurring theme in these verses, just three simple verses. It's amazing how something so small can be so powerful. Isn't it true? Something so small can be so powerful. I can have the tiniest of rocks in my shoe but it's the most annoying thing you can ever feel. <laughs> well, I'm glad that this verse isn't annoying, but it is, it, you, you just can't ignore it when there's a rock in your shoe. You just can't ignore the truth, I hope, of what it says here this morning. It says, come on, it's, it's a re, and the reoccurring theme is based around some words here, because it says, always, without ceasing, and in everything. Uh, that kind of tells me something about my life, that there's some things that consistently, Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church and there's some things he consistently, he's saying, hey guys, these are the things you need to consistently do. And he's not just talking to the Thessalonian church back then, he's talking to the church of today. And he's saying, come on, there's some things, just like every day of your life, uh, you'll do certain things that are a pattern, a good pattern, a good habit. Uh, hopefully every one of us shower within 24 hour period. Hopefully. You'll soon know in church if you don't. Someone will smell you. You know, especially in this humidity. Um, you know, within a 24-hour period, there are things we do. Uh, hopefully, we, we will obviously drink water in a 24-hour period. It nurtures our physical man. And Paul says here, come on, there's some things you've got to do like that. There's some things you've got to do. He says, come on, prayer is one of them. Rejoicing is one of them. And then the, the other thing he says is, is to give, come on, to give what? Thanks. I want to talk to you this morning about gratitude because I believe gratitude is one of the most powerful attributes or attitudes that you and I can live on the face of this earth with. It's, a, it's an attitude that embraces and changes the atmosphere literally as we have that kind of gratitude in our heart. It can change the way you see a day, it can change the way you see your workplace, it can change the way you see life. Would you agree? Gratitude. Gratitude. And Paul says here to the Thessalonians, he says, come on, give thanks. The other two are just as important, prayer and, and rejoice and, and praise and rejoicing. But I want to just focus on one this morning, gratitude. I, I was reading an article, uh, oh, sorry, I wasn't reading it, I was listening about an article that, was, that, that talked about scientists seeking to understand um, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, looking for factors that were contributing towards this disease, 
Uh, if you don't, not sure what Alzheimer's is, it's a, it's a disease that affects mainly uh, more senior folk. Uh, it's not a younger person's disease, it's more senior folk. And it affects their cognitive behaviours. In other words, their ability to think straight and to think and there's a tendency to forget and, and, and to not recognise people. All those type of things with Alzheimer's disease. And so these scientists conducted a study. What they did was they, they went to a... Uh, they went to the school of Notre Dame in America, which happens to be a place where um, nuns live, and they grabbed, uh, they didn't grab them, they studied 700 nuns. They're all in their ages from 70 to 100. Their, their lifestyles had basically all been much the same. A lot of them had been there since their 20s. When they came into this, uh, this, uh, this field and this calling in their lives. And so the scientists studied them, to the scientists' surprise and delight, that really assisted their, their research was every nun, when they came to the, to the place at Notre Dame there, they were asked to write their biography for the rest of... In other words, to diary their lives and their thoughts. And so for some, from the ages of 20 right up to the whatever present age they were at the moment, in their 70s and 80s and 90s, they diaried their life. And as the scientists read and examined their biographies and their diaries... They found that they were able to determine whether what nuns were kind of optimistic, you know, thought good thoughts, were positive about life, and what nuns were more pessimistic, you know, uh, didn't have such a positive outlook on life. And from that, they were able to discover some things, and they gathered all this information, and they released their findings in 2001. And when they, what they found is that there is a direct link between a person in their 20s and the conditions of their health later on in life. Uh, depending on how they thought during and what, what kind of uh, outlook they had on life, whether it was a negative outlook or a positive outlook. They determined that if a person had an optimistic, positive outlook on life, uh, generally lived life that way, that actual fact, they said it would add up to seven years to their lives. You know, that's what they say. Uh, and they discovered that you're less likely, less likely to contract or to have Alzheimer's disease. Of course, this was a catalyst for further studies by these scientists. And then uh, later on in, in this century, Huff, the Huffington Post in America recently published an article and listed 30 different benefits of gratitude. I'm not about to give you 30 different benefits of gratitude this morning. But this is what they said. The benefits of gratitude and how it affects your life. And a couple of the things they said were interesting. It said that the gratitude affects your immune system. That a thankful person has a better immune system and able to ward off disease much easier. Interesting, isn't it? Hey, bit of mind. Just a bit of interesting thoughts here. And then it said a grateful person is also more likely to have longer and deeper sleep. Sleep will come easier to a person with a thankful heart and an attitude of, great, of gratitude. Now, for most, some of us here, that's not a surprise. Because it's a lot easier to get to sleep when you're thinking good things than when you're thinking about the stresses of the day. Is that true? Uh, and the reality is, what these scientists have discovered uh, really isn't a surprise, because the Bible talks about it all the time. We mentioned the verse in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks not just sometimes, but always. Have an attitude of gratitude always. So it's not a surprise, really, for probably most of us. But I do want to emphasize, and I do want to 
reiterate the reality of the positive effects of gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts and lives. Because I think God, the scientists didn't discover it. God knew it all along. He established it. He has established what's important for us. And so I want to just turn our attention to a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I just want to read it to you. Uh, verses 10 to 17. It's, it's a passage of Scripture um, coming from the Old Testament, of course, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it talks about that time when the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. Now, if you remember, uh, of course, Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Moses was enlisted to lead them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Forty years they wandered through the desert. And if you remember, the desert experience was difficult for them, but it was made even more difficult because they continually grumbled and whinged. They whinged when they came out of Egypt, saying, this is a terrible hot place, we want to go back to slavery. They whinged because they didn't have enough bread or food. God provided food for them. They whinged because they didn't have water. God provided water out of the rock. And even when they got on the premises of moving into the promised land, they whinged because they had to go and face the Canaanites and knock them out before they could have the promised land. Folks, they were, for 40 years, they whinged and complained. And yet God provided for them. Isn't God incredibly gracious? You're not too sure about that? He is. So Moses is now in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's now telling the people uh, um, some things before they go into the promised land. He's saying some very important things to them. And I want to read them to you. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 10 to 17. It says, when, this is Moses speaking. He says, when you, through God spoken through Moses. When you have eaten, when you go into the promised land and eat and are full, hey, hey, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Good advice. Verse 11, be aware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built your beautiful houses and dwelt in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, don't allow your heart to be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land were there, was where there was no water, who brought water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then, don't say in your heart, it's my power, my might, and my man, and my hand have gained me this blessing and wealth. Don't say that. So Moses is actually saying to the children of Israel, you've been a bunch of grumbling, whinging people for 40 years. When you get into the promised land, don't have that attitude. Don't forget where you come from. And don't say, well, I've gained it all on my own strength and my own ability. Interesting, isn't it? And as we see, he talks about them. He says, the truth is, if you have that attitude and won't acknowledge God and won't bless the Lord for your, all that you've received and all that you have in life, he said, and if you read the passage more, you'll find that, God, that it actually says, it'll be, the things that have been a blessing will actually become a curse to you. Isn't that true? How many people have lived life and all of a sudden there's an influx of some kind of wealth or there's a blessing somehow? And this is the irony sometimes of the Christian faith 
We, we live in poverty. We live in oh, so much heartache and shame. We receive Jesus in our life, and there's some great things that start to happen in our life. We're blessed, and then we forget God, and we walk away again, and it becomes a curse to us. How many people have won millions of dollars, and when they say 70% of the people who have won the gold lotto or lotto or whatever it is, 70% of people and a year later are worse off than when they started and received it. And that's terrible because it becomes a curse. I would suggest to you this morning, one of the reasons that it becomes a curse, all that we are blessed with is because we forget where it comes from. And we forget to be thankful and be grateful. See, the promise that Moses made to the Israelites or God made to the Israelites through Moses was an incredible promise in the light of what they've been through. Uh, the Israelites were now going to eat. In other words, no more manna from heaven or, or the quail. It was going to be their own crops and they're going to have plentiful supply of food. They were going to build. They're going to have a home to live in and they weren't, they weren't going to be wanderers anymore. They weren't going to be nomadic people. They were going to earn. That's wonderful. Instead of just living from day to day, week to week, now they were going to have some supply of income and your livestock is going to increase. All of this is going to happen and Moses says, when that happens, it's wonderful, but don't forget, don't forget where it comes from because it's become a curse. Interesting enough, in the wilderness, when I read the passages where they're wandering through the wilderness complaining, that Moses and that God never mentioned that they need to have an attitude of gratitude. He never talks about being thankful. 40 years, it never seems to be mentioned. And yet, when they get to the preposes of walking into the promised land, we see that Moses now makes the point very, very importantly, hey, when you get in there, don't forget your God and who supplied. Don't, don't forget attitude. Don't forget to be thankful. And you know, I, 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 I'm just thinking about the reality. You know, it's, in, it's important to have gratitude during the bad times. But I think it's even more important during the good times. Israel, they didn't have gratitude to the bad times, but Moses says, don't you forget your God in the good times. Because when I start to think about it, in the bad times, when we're grumbling and whinging to God, at least we've got a mind towards God. At least, you know, I don't think sometimes God minds, because I think at least you're communicating with Him. It's just that we need to come to the right conclusion about that. But, you know, I think it, when we're in the bad times and we're grumbling and complaining, at least our heart is towards Him, our mind is on God. But in the good times, we have to be careful that God just doesn't become second place. In the good times, well, I've got it all I need. And we don't, and we're not tempted like the Israelite to say, well, this is what I have. It's because of my hand, it's because of my, my ability, my power, my might has gained me this wealth and this blessing. And you know what? We forget God. I think that's the time when we really need to thank God. That's the time when we need to remember Him. Church, this morning, gratitude is the acknowledgement that we are not the sole authors of the good in our lives. That's what gratitude is. Uh, there's a French philosopher called André Sponfel. He says, the egoist, the ego, egoist, or the proud person, is ungrateful because he doesn't like to acknowledge his debt to others. And gratitude is that debt. If we don't owe anything to anybody else, we owe it gratitude. We still owe gratitude. You know, this morning as you came into church, uh, we need to be thankful to the people 
who'd just turned the air conditioning off? What if everybody just said, well, someone else can do that. I am thankful for the person. Who, I know the person who did that, and I'm thankful. I'm not quite sure who, which of them did it. <laughs> anyway, you, know, I, I, you know, just the, we owe a debt to each other gratitude. You know, there's so many things we can be thankful for. You know, this morning as we hoe into morning tea, someone took the time to make that. You know, as we have children are being taught this morning in children's church, getting God's word into their hearts. Someone has taken the time to plan and purpose and prepare all that and teach it. You know, there's many, a myriad of things. And sometimes in the world that we live in, we can be so much taken, take it for granted of what we have. I want to challenge us this morning, church. And when we start to take things for granted, we start to move into that area of, well, pride. Egotistic. And that's what the French philosopher is saying. And I've discovered that the truth is your life is not about what you... You know, this morning you say, well, I haven't got everything I want. And some, maybe someone's saying, well, I feel like I'm living in hell. You're not going to help yourself if you are feeling like you're living in hell this morning. And I, I'm not brushing over that, that there's some struggles and challenges. But why make it any worse by your attitude? And why not, in actual fact, you could make it even better with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude. In actual fact, I've discovered when I feel like I'm living in a place that's just not good or challenging in life and I'm not doing well, I... Um, I've actually found as I just have gratitude that it actually helps me to see that the problem isn't big as I think it is. Actually, it helps me to see differently. It helps me to see the answers. It helps me to see the possibilities. It actually allows faith to rise. And so there is a, a direct um, correlation between gratefulness and humility. And so often... Uh, gratefulness is a sign that there's a humble heart. You know, the Hebrew word for gratitude simply means to recognize the good. Recognize the good. But, you know, human nature, there's an attitude of sometimes recognizing the good is not typical in our, our society and not usual. And I wish it wasn't the case, but it would be great if we could just recognize the good. I, I, I go for a run with a group of people on a Saturday morning. It's called Park Run. And uh, some of us here go to that. And, uh, and there's this one lady yesterday morning, on Saturday morning, you know, I'm running and I haven't got breath to talk, but for some reason she has. Um, ladies are like that. Uh, that's okay, I'm nothing hits lady. I'm running along and, and kind of we reached the halfway point and I'm coming back and she's going this way. And I noticed every person going past, hey, well done. Yeah, good on you. Hey, keep running. I'm thinking, they're far out. She's out doing me. How does she talk when you're so puffed? But you know, it's a great attitude, isn't it? Just to see the good. Just to see the good that, you know, someone's doing okay. What a cheer them on. The debt of gratefulness we owe each other so many times. But human nature tends, unfortunately, to be ungrateful. And ungrateful, I've discovered, is like the rotten weeds that grow in my garden and lawn. All you need is sunshine and rain, which we've had in the last week. And I don't 
It's amazing. I don't do a thing to allow those weeds to grow. I don't plant seeds. I'm not quite sure if someone comes along and plants seeds and weed seeds in my garden. I've got a sneaky suspicion someone must because it doesn't seem to take too much for them to grow. Reality is no one does. It's just that weeds grow naturally. Um, and, it's just, and it's a bit like ungratefulness. It just wants to come, un, come unnaturally to me. You know. And it's amazing how many people say, oh, it rained. Oh, is it raining? Can't go and do what I want to do. And yet other people are like, oh, it rained. <laughs> so what's a blessing to one seems to be terrible to the other. But you know, why not be grateful for it all? So gratitude, that's what, you know, the truth is gratitude, ungratefulness is like a weed, but gratitude and thanksgiving is more like that plant that you have to plant and you've got to tend and you've got to cultivate and you've got to fertilize and you've got to water and it might be a rose bush, for instance, and it eventually it produces something fragrant and beautiful and that's what gratitude does. It produces something fragrant, produces something beautiful, produces life. It, it makes us look at the good and that's what we need to understand you know this morning every parent here and if you're not a parent you'll soon discover this will be your mantra in life as well as our children are born and they grow to an age where they understand us some of the first words besides mum and dad that we ask them to say out of their mouth is the words thank you isn't that true we abbreviate it we say something like ta whatever you want to you know do with your children but why is that so? Why do we so press upon our children to be thankful for the, little, for the things, for their food, for what we do? For, why do we ask them to be thankful? Is it so we can, we can impress Aunt, you know, Aunt Mary? Is it so that we can be, look good as parents? Really, not in the end. But we want that child to have an understanding that thankfulness is good. And if they're thankful, it's often a sign that they've got some element of humility in their lives. And we don't want our children to grow up as proud and arrogant little brats. Is that right? And thankfulness is a way that, that helps our children to grow, always realizing that everything they have has been given to them and they need to be thankful for that and not just live in life saying, well, it's all just going to happen for me. We don't want that. That would not be a sensible way to bring our children up. And so we see, as parents, we continually reinforce thankfulness in our kids. Isn't it the same as our Heavenly Father? He wants you to be a grateful person. Because it's not good for Him. It doesn't make Him look good. It just makes our life so much better. So much better. Paul says something really incredible in, in Romans chapter 1, verse, in the very first chapter of Romans. He says, Although... He's talking to the Christians in the church at Rome. He says, although they knew God, he's talking about some people maybe in the church in Rome or some people that they're associated with. He says, though they knew God, they did not glorify God as God, nor were thankful. Take note, nor were thankful, but become futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul says, you know, it's possible just to lose your faith, to walk away from God if you continually are grumbling and whinging to consume your life it's possible to say well blow you god everything's gone wrong it's not that you might not still acknowledge him it's just this will blow you this is all this is all too much you know 
this went wrong and that went wrong and this went wrong, but uh, I've had enough, I'm out of here. So that's what grumbling will take you. Your negativity will just take you down that path. Just, and ultimately, the devil wants to just lie to you, doesn't he? To steal from you, just ultimately then kill you. God just wants to give you life. And as we maintain an attitude of gratitude and and thankfulness, that's what it produces, life. And see, Paul says, there's a bunch of people, they knew God. Although they knew God, they weren't thankful. They weren't thankful. They weren't grateful. And they become futile in their thoughts. Then their hearts were darkened and they walked away. Can you see how big a deal this is, church? I just think it's so important. So important. So the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. You ever run into people who think everything, hey, I deserve that. That's mine. Hey, what about me? You know? Hey, you know, you can't cut me off in traffic. I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you, I I deserve better than that. You know? You can't find me a table in this restaurant. I deserve better than that. I don't know, whatever it might be. You know, woman, you can't make a decent meal for me. Husband, grow up. Oh, I deserve. I tell you what, it's the very lie of the enemy. It's the very heart of, of foolishness to continue to think, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to it. And once we get to that point where we think we're entitled to life, I tell you, it's a downward spiral. It's a downward spiral. James, in the book of James in the New Testament, he's this one verse, James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Okay? Who's he referring to? God. And it comes down from the Father of lights, who is our heavenly creator and Father God, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And I was just thinking about the truth of this verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of Lights. What's the Father of Lights about? Well, ultimately, it's just referring to the fact that God is an incredible creator. He created the lights in the sky, whether it's the sun by day or the moon by night or whatever it is. The reflective power of the moon, the stars that reflect the sun's light. Whatever it is, the galaxies out there that are just amazing. And there's galaxies yet to be discovered. And God knows it all. He holds it in his hands. He's the Father of it all. What an incredible God. Would you agree? If that in itself is enough to say, oh, thank Thanks, God. <laughs> Did you know that if the sun was just, you know, so many more meters closer, maybe, uh, you know, I haven't got the statistics, but maybe if it was a kilometer or two closer to the earth, do you know that we would all fry pretty quickly? Do you know if it was a kilometer or two further from the earth, we would all freeze pretty quickly? Isn't that amazing? He said at just the right distance. Is that an incredible God? He's the father of lights. He's the father of all of that. And if he's the father of all of that, who gives every good and perfect gift, and all those things are gifts to us, the things out there in the galaxies and the, and the atmosphere and the, in, out there in the world, how much more is our God, you know, if he's interested in that, and yet he still is concerned for me. One of seven billion plus people on the face of the earth and yet he's still interested in you he's still interested in me and it says he gives good and perfect gifts to us he can if he can hold the universe in his hands he can surely look after me and you and so and he wants to give good gifts and so ultimately 
I, I need to understand something. Everything about I have, what I have and own, who I am and what I uh, have in, in the way of life, is ultimately from Him. And you say, well, just wait a second. I've earned hard-earned money. I've made money. I bought it myself. Who gave you the ability to make money? Who gave you the ability to have health and life and to work at your job? Who literally gives you breath to breathe, air to breathe every minute of every day? Ultimately, it's His. And if you have that attitude, <laughs> attitude of everything ultimately is His, I tell you, you're so, in, so much more have an attitude of, well, not entitlement, but just thankfulness. Not it's mine, but how could I share it with the world? So hospitality even becomes a blessing to you, not a problem to you. Giving becomes a wonderful joy and not an issue of your time, money, whatever it is. Because you've got an attitude. See, uh, gratitude is, is a connection to so much more in our life. Gratitude. But when we whinge and complain about whatever it is, we forget the fact that God has given me so much that I need to be thankful for. There's a guy called John Piper, a theologian. He said this. He called gratitude the echo of grace. Just grasp this, the echo of grace. Because where there is no gratitude, there is no recognition of God's grace. Grace is really simple. Grace is just God's unmerited love and favor for you. And when we, and, and, and when we understand God's merited, unmerited favor and love for you this morning, as Sandy was talking this morning, His great love for us, um, His death and what He did for us through Jesus Christ, what will be echoed because of the heart of knowing thankful for grace, it will be gratitude and thankfulness. It will be the echo of grace. I love that thought where grace is recognized. That is that, that I, I am because of God and that I have because of God. And when that is recognized, that grace is, is, is usually flowing through our hearts. What is there about your life that you need to be grateful for? How blessed are we today? We live in Australia. We live in Gladstone. Imperfect as Gladstone and Australia are, there is a lot less worse places to live. I want to be thankful. <laughs> I want to be thankful. Let's see the grace of God in all of life, in all that we have, the goodness of God. See, there is a recognition of grace. It echoes through the sound of thankfulness. Thankfulness. So, Moses says to the children of Israel, you were once slaves. You've come through the desert, but it's the grace of God that you are now out of slavery. And don't think that it's by your, yourself, your own might, your own power, your own hand, that you have gleaned or gained all of this that you're about to receive. You're going to be able to earn, you're going to be able to build, you're going to be able to receive blessing, increase now as you move into the promised land. Do not make the mistake of forgetting where it came from. Do not make the mistake of being thankful for that and having a grateful heart in all that you do. I, I, uh, some time ago, I was driving by myself along the Dawson Highway, into Gladstone. And, uh, and I don't usually, but there was a guy on the side of the road hitchhiking. He was dressed in a, well-dressed. He kind of like had lovely, you know, black slacks on, a good shirt, a vest. He was well-dressed, and so I felt prompted to pick him up. 
I thought, surely an axe murderer couldn't be so well-dressed. <laughs> I, I had that thought afterwards. <laughs> but I just felt prompted, prompted to pick him up. I stopped. I picked him up. He hopped in the car. I introduced myself. He introduced himself. I have forgotten his name some time ago. And I said, where do you want to go? He said, I want to go to the nightclubs in Gladstone Main Street. Now, I knew that wasn't the best place. I really didn't want to take you there. But the reality was I wasn't about to say, oh, sorry, mate, out of the car. I'm not taking you there. I thought maybe I can do something good for this guy between now and the nightclubs. (laughs) So I thought, let's just ask him about his life. And so I just threw a couple of questions at him and he start because now who knows that when you pick a person up on the side of the road at night time they're kind of going to be open because you've done a nice thing already isn't that true so his heart was open simply because i picked him up and so i said so how's life (laughs) and he started to unfold some of the challenges of his life he started to share with me And so often, sometimes when people share with you, you start to think, oh, I can relate to that. I've had a problem like that. And I thought, I just stopped myself and said, shut up. Just let him talk. Sometimes some of you need just to shut up and let people talk. Take that in. You know what I'm saying? Just listen to people. Care for people. I'm not saying your problems aren't as bad, but I'm just saying listen. So I I just started to let him unfold. His problems, just let him share. And it only took 10 minutes to get to the main street, Gnu Street and the nightclubs. And I pulled up and, you know, and he looked at me in the eyes. He opened the door partly and he turned to me and he looked at me and he said, uh, I don't know what's just happened in this car. He says, I just feel so much better. And then he said to me these immortal words. He said, um... Uh, thank you. And I'm, okay. And I'm trying to think quickly what to say, but he got out of the car, shut the door, waved me goodbye, and he was gone. And I didn't get a chance to talk to him again. But what I believe is happening is, because I've thought over this little, that little scenario many times, and as I just allowed him to talk about life and the challenges, I wasn't there to rip him off. I wasn't there to take from him. I was just there to listen and give to him. I wasn't there to judge him. I was just there to receive what he had to say. And as I did that, and maybe for him, no one had done that for quite a while, I believe something of the grace of God was reflected through my life. Now, any of you could have done it. I'm not any more special than you. But something of God's love and grace just penetrated his heart. In that car, in the front seat of that car, something touched his life to the point where he was willing to then say, I feel different, and I don't know what it is. I knew what it was. And because of that, his heart was to say, thank you. Thank you is the echo. Gratitude is the echo of God's grace. I want to suggest to you, God's grace is all over your lives if you'd only receive it. And as a result of that, God wants you just to have a heart of gratitude. In actual fact, I think they work together. Gratitude as, you know, generates great, the understanding of grace and humility in our life, and yet grace generates the heart of gratitude. 
gratitude and thankfulness is the realization of how good God has been to us. And everything I have and everything I own is His. Everything about what I, how I live, it's His. It's His. I can be prone to grumpiness when we get tired, when we get hot and bothered. You know, just life unfolds. Get a flat tire. Not that I've had one of them lately, but whatever. Just prone to grumpiness, prone to whinging. And saying, God, what about this? I thought, you know, not that I often say that, but, you know, I thought life was better than this. I'm a Christian, God. And it's almost like my entitlement, what I should receive. If God is going to, do you know what God is saying to you this morning? I know it without a doubt. Have you ever wondered what God would be speaking to you, what he wants to say? Remember a couple of weeks ago I spoke about listening to God and God speaking, he wants to speak. You know what God's saying this morning? This is what he's saying. I can tell you without a doubt, this is the will of God for you this morning. In everything, come on, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will. Sometimes we say, oh God, what's your will for me today? What's your will? And we want specific answers. We want kind of everything laid out. And God just would say, hey, you know what my will for you today is? Give thanks today and have a heart of gratitude. Because, you know, I often just find when I want specific answers for direction and wisdom in my life, it, it, it doesn't come like a neon sign in the sky from God. It comes with a heart of gratitude so that I have enough peace in my heart to sort through the right and wrong answers and make the right decisions. Does that make sense? And this morning, God says, come on, let gratitude be a cons- constant and consistent part of your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give. Come on. In everything, give. One more. In everything, give thanks. Is that for everything? Give thanks? No, not necessarily. But in everything. Because there's some things I don't enjoy. And it's stupid oh, to say, you know, to give. But in it, I just give you thanks anyway, God. I don't enjoy this. I don't enjoy the fact that, you know, I'm going to lose my job, God. I'm not going to enjoy the fact, God, that, you know, um, one of my family members is sick. I'm not enjoying that, God. I, I'm not. But God, I'm just going to give you thanks. I'm just going to be grateful for what I can be grateful for. I'm going to focus on the good. I'm going to focus on the truth. I'm going to believe by faith. And I'm going to believe that you've got my best interest in hand. And everything about me and everything I am and everything I have is ultimately given to me by you. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you. Can we stand this morning as we're going to close can we just sing this song for a moment this morning it's a beautiful song it declares something so special